especially on your thir 36? 36. 36th anniversary. So I'm glad to be here. Will you please pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning. We ask your blessing upon this service, upon this sermon, as well as our service in serving you and serving others. Lord, I particularly ask your blessing upon this sermon that indeed it can impact us all to go out into the world to serve you even better. In your name we pray. Amen. I... Um, grew up with today in the church being called Palm Sunday. Many of you as well. The service was centered around when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on that donkey. And all the people were waving palms and shouting, Hosanna. I also grew up with having worship on Monday, Thursday with an emphasis on celebrating the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. More recently, there's been also been an emphasis on our servanthood with the example of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. I've gone to many services where that's part of the Monday, Thursday service. I also grew up with having worship on Good Friday with an emphasis on the suffering and death of Christ on the cross. However, however, over the years, people have now started to come to church only on Palm Sunday and on Easter Sunday. They skip the week in between the Monday, Thursday, and the Good Friday of Holy Week. Why is that? I've got an idea. It's because Holy Week is death, and death can be uncomfortable for us. And so the church at large leadership and I'm talking about all denominations and non-denominations, felt that it was improper to go from the celebration of Palm Sunday to the celebration of Easter properly without going through and understanding Christ's passion in between. In other words, if all we do is to go from the Hosanna of Palm Sunday to the Hallelujah of Easter without experiencing the bittersweet of Monday, Thursday, the horror of Good Friday, and the silence of Holy Saturday, then we have missed something very special. Amen. And so in the 1970s, so it's relatively new, church at large worship leaders got together and suggested that Palm Sunday 
be joined with the Sunday of the Passion and be renamed to the Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord so that we would remember the cheers but also remember that Jesus suffered and died. This morning we're going to walk through two of the events of Holy Week. We're going to walk through Palm Sunday, and then we're going to have a memorial service for Jesus. Time for that time after Jesus' death and before his resurrection, that time in between. Let's talk about Palm Sunday. Jesus had just left Jericho where he had dinner at Zacchaeus' home. And he was then on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Passover was an event that had taken place 1,500 years earlier when God delivered his people in the exodus from the land of bondage and led them to the promised land. All Jews were obligated to commit commemorate Passover every year, and so during Passover, Jerusalem was crowded for visitors. Let's hear the Palm Sunday scripture given to us this morning from Mark 11. When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethany and Bethany of the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say to them, its master needs it, and he will send it back right away. They went. They found a colt tied to a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some people standing around said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them just what Jesus had said, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes upon it, and he sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes on the roads while Others spread branches cut from the trees. Those in front of him and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And after he looked around at everything, because it was already late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the twelve. Here ends the reading of this one of this morning's scriptures. In May of 2001, I walked this Palm Sunday route from Bethany to the Kidron Valley. I have to tell you, it was an awesome experience as we wound our way down the Mount of Olives. I tried to imagine Jesus 
and the crowds that day. It would have been Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was here that he rode that donkey's that donkey symbolizing humility and peace as he rode it down the path from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. As he rode that donkey, his followers lined, they lined both sides of the path and they were so excited that they waved palm branches and literally took the coats off their backs and laid them down in front of him, such as we would do with a red carpet for royalty or special persons, or such as a gentleman would do, would place his his coat across a puddle for us ladies. These palm branches and coats were symbols of triumph and victory as a way of celebrating and praising him, praising Jesus as their king. They also sang part of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest of their praise of God and of his Christ. It was a great, loud, joyful celebration, partly because it was the time of Passover, and so there was a very festive mood in Jerusalem. But also because the people were glad they finally had a king who would lead them and deal with their Roman persecutors. It was a day of great hope for the people who had lived in great hopelessness. Jesus knew that even as the crowd shouted praises to him on this Sunday, that they would soon show scorn and contempt and shout crucify him on this same upcoming Friday. Jesus knew that his public ministry was about to come to a close. He knew that he had completed his mission here on earth. He knew that he had preached and done amazing miracles. He knew that he had revealed himself as God the Father had wished that he would. Jesus knew that this Passover dinner on Thursday would be the last supper that he and his disciples would have together. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, and abandoned by his disciples. Jesus knew that he would face great agony as he prayed and was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew that Pilate would ask the crowd, what should I do with this man named Jesus who is called the Messiah? Jesus knew that the crowd would shout, 
crucified. Jesus knew that he would be spat upon, scourged, scorned, beaten, stripped, mocked, and crucified. How quickly things can change. Change on a dime. Change in a New York minute in five short days. Jesus knew that they would place his body in a borrowed tomb. Let's look again at the Gospel of Mark to see what burial arrangements were done. Coming to us from Mark 15. Joseph from Arimathea dared to approach Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. Joseph was a prominent council member who also eagerly anticipated the coming of God's kingdom. Pilate wondered if Jesus was already dead. He called the centurion and asked him whether Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, Pilate gave the dead body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth and took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in the cloth, and laid him in a tomb that had been carved out of rock. He rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Josie, saw where he was buried. Here ends this reading. Two of the respected member of the Jewish Sanhedrin took charge of the burial arrangements of Jesus. The first one was Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin. He was a good, he was a just man, an honorable and a respected counselor. He offered his brand new tomb for Jesus to be buried in. He was a secret follower of Christ. However, his secret became known when he boldly and courageously asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Pilate released the body for burial to Joseph upon confirmation of Jesus' death. The second man was Nicodemus. Nicodemus helped Joseph to carry Jesus to the tomb. Nicodemus, too, was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, a counselor, a ruler of the Jews, and a master in Israel. Nicodemus was the man to whom Jesus explained that in order to enter God's kingdom, it would be necessary to be born again. Nicodemus couldn't understand how an old man could go back into the womb of his mother and be born again. Who else was there at that time of the burial? There were some women brave enough to stand afar off and observe. Maybe there were some soldiers. However, where were the disciples? Where were the disciples? They weren't there. They feared for their lives and stayed 
far away from a, at a good distance. And so Jesus' burial was pretty much private with just Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Jewish custom dictated that anyone who had died had to be buried on that same day that they died. Jesus died, we're told, about 3 o'clock on that Friday. The Sabbath was to begin at 6 o'clock. And so this meant that the body had to be buried quickly without much ceremony. And so friends and loved ones didn't have time to gather together around his body for what we do today as a visitation to weep or mourn. There was no time for prayers and scripture and music or a sermon. There was no time for anyone to give a eulogy of Jesus' life journey from birth to death. There was no time for any friend to come forward to share their thoughts about Jesus. There was no time for a formal funeral procession of friends and family to the cemetery for his burial. And so, today, I'm proposing that we take time to have a memorial service for Jesus and to put ourselves into the shoes of Jesus' family and closest friends as they mourned his death. Frank. As Frank's doing that, let us begin. Dearly beloved, friends of Jesus, we gather today in the sight of God, filled with sorrow and grief. Our friend Jesus has suffered and died, and his earthly body has been laid to rest. This is a tender time. We have come together to grieve and to comfort comfort one another in our sorrows, and to draw upon God's love and power. We have come together today to remember all that Jesus said to us and to take comfort in the shelter of Almighty God. Jesus of Nazareth was only 33 years old, not very old by most of our standards. But there were more lifetimes lived in those few years than most of us could ever imagine. There were also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. While Jesus had no children of his own and never made much money or bought any land of his own. All those things, all those things that we value, Jesus left a mark on the world that will never be forgotten. 
He will be remembered forever in the hearts of those who love Him. I know that He is glad that each of you are here today to honor and remember Him. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for this time we have together to gather and reflect on Jesus' life. You gave him a good life, a wonderful family, faithful followers. He loved them deeply, and they loved him deeply in return. You loved him. You were with him on the day of his birth, throughout his life, on the day of his death, and today in paradise. You walked with him in good times and hard times. You were there with him even on this dark Friday. Be with us today in our tears, in our aching hearts, and be with us in our memories as we grieve and remember Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ was born in a stable in Bethlehem, Judea, over 2,000 years ago. He died at the age of 33 on a cross at Golgotha. He is survived by his mother Mary, four half-brothers, James, Josie's, Judas, and Simon, and several unnamed sisters, many nieces and nephews and cousins, 11 disciples, many special followers and innumerable friends. He was preceded in death by his earthly father, Joseph, his cousin, John the Baptist, and one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. Jesus was born in a stable to Mary and Joseph of Nazareth while they were in Bethlehem for Herod's registration and taxation. Wise men from the east brought him expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Herod was afraid of a new king being born, and so he ordered the execution of every child under the age of two. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus fled to Egypt for a number of years for Jesus' safety. When it became safe, they all moved back to Nazareth so Jesus could grow up among his family. When Jesus was about 12 years old, there was a family trip to Jerusalem for Passover. And on their way home, his parents discovered that he wasn't with. They found him three days later back at the temple speaking with and asking questions and listening to the church leaders. Growing up, his father Joseph involved him in the carpentry business. His mother Mary was always there with and for him, raising him. She was the one that pondered in her heart so much of what God was doing through Jesus as he was growing up. Jesus was a big support for his mother in her grief after her husband Joseph's death. When Jesus was in his early 30s, his cousin John baptized him in the River Jordan. And God said, 
that he was well pleased with him. This was a defining day, a defining moment, and it marked a significant change in the course of Jesus' life. Jesus went on to leave Nazareth and never have his home of his, home of his own ever again. He traveled through Galilee and Judea, and he even got in a little bit into Samaria. He now called Capernaum his hometown. He was a powerful speaker, enthralling everyone with his insight and with his wisdom. Thousands, thousands flocked to hear him speak. He became famous. He spoke a message from God about the kingdom of God. He spoke to them of the great compassion of God and that they should love God and love one another as they have loved themselves. He spoke to them of forgiving one another as God has forgiven them. Some believed that he was the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel. Jesus came to have 12 special friends, called them his disciples, as well as numerous followers, male and female, who generously provided for his needs out of their own resources. Jesus was the kindest, most loving man. He could and would make friends with anyone. He looked with compassion upon those that even the most faithful Jew had dismissed as unclean, the tax collector, the sick or the blind or the lame or those with leprosy, those possessed by demons, the young, the old, the educated, the not, the rich, the poor, the Pharisees, or even those despised Samaritans. And yes, even the sinners. Jesus did have interesting encounters with people. If you tried to write them all down, there's probably not enough parchment to contain all of the stories. Jesus had special powers given to him by God. He turned water into wine. He fed multitudes of people twice. He touched, he healed people with skin diseases like leprosy. He cast out demons, he cured the epileptics, he healed the paralytics, he gave sight to the blind, he unstopped the ears of the deaf. People who were once deemed unclean and sinners by our entire culture were now suddenly able to walk among us and to literally fit right in. Many believed that the Spirit of the Lord really was resting on him. Many witnessed it when he was baptized by John and when Jesus was on the mountain with James, John, and Peter in that time when Moses and Elijah appeared. God said both times, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Many heard his 
wisdom and understanding. After all, he could speak to even the most learned of the religious leaders and silence them with knowledge that seemed otherwise otherworldly. His teachings were sometimes strange and often difficult to understand. But when the disciples and followers asked him, he would bring that parable down to their level and explain it to them. Jesus did have some bitter enemies. Some of them even plotted to kill him. Some of them were religious leaders and political leaders who felt threatened by his biting and honesty. And then there was that time when he entered the temple and he overturned the table of the money changers and released all of the sacred animals and stalled the temple procedures. That was enough to make anyone mad. But the fact that he did it during our festival of the Passover only made matters worse with the religious and political leaders. And the plot to kill him increased. Conflict heightened with the leaders all week after Palm Sunday. But the disciples figured if they could only keep Jesus quiet a little bit longer, all of this trouble would certainly just pass over. But then that Thursday night, the disciples sat down for the sacred feast, and after dinner, Jesus took the cup and said that it was a new covenant in his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And then Judas left. And then the disciples headed out to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives with Jesus when he prayed harder than any of them had ever seen before. The disciples were tired and fell asleep. And right then, right there, Jesus was arrested. And he was put on trial in the middle of the night. And he was hauled over to the governor's headquarters where Pilate passively permitted him to be turned over for flogging and for execution. Jesus didn't answer any of their taunts then. But then when he was on the cross, Jesus hoisted himself up to muster up enough air to say a few things that still rings in our ears. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He was actually practicing what he had been preaching, to love your enemies, to bless those who per persecute you, to forgive. He said, he told that thief next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He stated to his mother and to John, behold your son, behold your mother. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out, I thirst. He cried out, it is finished. 
And then right before he breathed his last, he mustered every remaining ounce of strength from his body to say, Father, into your hand I commend my spirit. Up to the end, the disciples had hoped for a display of God's power to stop all this that was going on. They were hope for Jesus to speak and to amaze all who had heard him as he had amazed us for so long. But neither happened. Jesus will be remembered forever in the hearts of those who loved him. Today, at this time after Friday, and before Sunday, we're all feeling left in the dark. We feel as if we've been swallowed in the valley of the shadow of death. We will all miss him so much. We all have that feeling of having the rug pulled out from under our lives. And we feel like we have just suffered a sucker punch to the stomach. The only thing left for us to do today is to watch, is to pray. Our memorial service for Jesus is now coming to an end. Will you please join me in a final prayer? God, thank you for being with us in this wondering moment where we stand poised between life and death where we are filled to the brim with sorrow, filled with the thoughts of what has been. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for our friend Jesus, who was a gift to the world, a gift in each of our lives. Comfort us as we are shaken by the horror of these last hours. Be our friend in this time of sorrow and sustain us in the days to come. And now may God bless us and keep us, and may the face of God shine upon us and be gracious unto us. And may God's presence embrace us and give us eternal peace. Amen. Some final thoughts on this sermon, on this Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord's Sunday service. I ask us, what caused the people to go from loving and honoring Jesus to five days later, hating him and wanting him to be killed? Jesus had come to offer forgiveness for their sins and to offer himself as the one who would pay the price for them, who would redeem them, and who would make them righteous and justified in God's eyes. But they didn't understand it, did they? All they seemed to understand was that he turned out not to be their military king to rescue them from the horrible Roman rule, and therefore, 
he was of no use to them. And so they went from one Sunday shouting, Hosanna, to five days later shouting, Crucify him. We, we are the ones today who deny Jesus by joining in with the crowd in our desire for acceptance, for our fear of ridicule and rejection, in our inability to think for ourselves that leaves us silence when we should speak. We are the ones who are doing and supporting things that we know are wrong. We are the ones today who run away and hide, just like the disciples, when we deny knowing Jesus, when we say and do things that we know are not in keeping with his will, when we engage in thoughts and actions that are counter to our faith, when we are more concerned with what others think of us than what he thinks of us, when we are the ones afraid to stand up and be counted as one of his disciples. Let us all live for Christ and tell others about our saviors. If we think about it, Jesus' triumphal entry was also a triumphal exit. It marked the end of one era and the beginning of a new one. Let us now proceed to celebrate Easter next Sunday. Celebrate it properly by having gone through and understanding the contrast of Palm Sunday and Christ's Passion and Easter. And let us celebrate that on Easter Sunday that Jesus rose from the grave to live forevermore. And then let us celebrate the victory that Christ secured so that we could secure victory as well. Amen. Thank you, sir.